want to begin on a somber note today. We're not going to end on a somber note. Because that's not the nature of gospel preaching. The gospel is good news. but Sometimes we have to start with the bad news in order to appreciate the good. And so what I want to remind you of this morning as we begin is your mortality. Your mortality. I want to remind you that death will someday visit you. And you're thinking, oh, well, thanks a lot, preacher. That's why I came to church this morning, so you could remind me that I'm going to die. Some of you don't need this reminder as much as others. In fact, a lot of our older people are more mindful. That you know this better than some of our younger people. Our younger people, a lot of them, a lot of us, I'll just put myself in that category, us younger folks, we often think that we are invincible, immortal. But some of you older folks, as you have been around longer, you've seen death. You've seen loved ones die. And you have witnessed the own frailty in your own bodies. Brother Paul Trainer once told me, uh, one of our oldest members here, this has been several years ago, he said, you know what, Joseph, I've got one foot in the grave and the other is on a banana peel. So that's a man who understands that at the end of life comes death. I signed on to Facebook one morning last week and I was bombarded with posts about loved ones dying. One about an unborn child passing away at just 22 weeks in his mother's womb. And another on the opposite end of the spectrum, a beloved grandfather in his 80s passing away. And sorrow from, from both members, both, both family members over these losses. And you, every week, you hear about people who have passed, you experience death firsthand. And yet, even before we stand at a bedside or a casket, or even before we're lying there ourselves, there are plenty of reminders that we live in a world of death. You sustain an injury and you realize how weak your body is. You suffer through an illness. You receive a, a dreaded diagnosis, maybe of cancer. I mean, one moment you feel like you are full of life and the next you feel like you're staring death in the face. Or you suffer uh, through a car accident and, and you come out of it almost unscathed, but you look at the car, you look at how it's mangled and you say, goodness gracious, I could have died. But for the grace of God, my goodness, look at my car. Could have been a goner. Some of us begin saying stuff like this. Death is just, death is just a part of life. And we recognize that our bodies are fragile and they're deteriorating and they are not fashioned to last forever. Now sometimes in life, there are seasons in life when it feels as if death and the ways of death are closing in on us. I know that's how Jacob felt in Genesis chapter 37 when he was led to believe by his sons that his beloved son Joseph had died. They threw him in a pit and sold him off into slavery, but they grabbed his coat and they dipped it in, in the blood of a goat and they brought it back to their dad. And their dad jumped to the conclusion that this is my son's coat and obviously he's been torn to bits by a wild animal. He is undoubtedly dead. And he tears his clothes and he, and he goes through this, this, uh, 
this morning with sackcloth and ashes and, he, and his children and his family, they, they try to come around him and comfort him, but he says, I will follow my son into the place of death, into Sheol. In that moment, in that season, it felt for Jacob that death was closing in all around him. And I think about the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations. When Jeremiah is lamenting the fall of, of Judah and Jerusalem, of God's kingdom, when they were taken off into uh, captivity, into exile, he says this. And he's speaking not just of the experience of his people, but his own experience. And he's going through a trial that none of us can imagine. The invasion of a foreign power, the, the, the taking over from within of his country, of God's people. Listen to what he says, how he describes it. I am the man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his wrath, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. One more verse. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. I feel like, Jeremiah says, I feel like death is closing in. The icy jaws of death are all about me. And that's how Paul felt in our text this morning. That was read just a few moments ago. If you have your Bible, why don't you grab it and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 8. This is a passage that, in which Paul gets very personal. It's very revealing. Uh, it, is an, it, it is autobiographical in a sense. Paul gives us a glimpse into his own life, into his faith. And I'm always interested uh, when figures of Scripture, especially the writers of the New Testament, open up the hood a bit and give us a glimpse into how they feel, and into how they react to the various trials that they face. Look in verse 8. He says, in this letter to the church at Corinth, we do not want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to not know, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, exactly what is Paul referring to in this passage? He's talking about an affliction that he experienced in Asia. Now, Asia is not as we think of the Asian continent today. It was a region that was right across the Aegean Sea from where Corinth was located on the Grecian Peninsula, right across the sea in what is now modern-day Turkey. And Paul, when he is penning this letter had just finished a three-year ministry in Ephesus, which was over in Asia. And so maybe when Paul talks about the affliction that we experienced in Asia, he's talking about some experience in Ephesus. Uh, he mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, having fought the beasts, they, they, they sicked the beast on him in Ephesus. And so maybe that's what Paul is referring to. Or maybe he's referring to that and some other trials and afflictions that, that he faced. Or maybe he's not referring to that at all. We're just not sure. 
But it seems that whatever this experience was, he revisits it a couple chapters later in chapter 4 about verse 8, where he uses this same word, afflicted. He says in chapter 1, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about the afflictions that we experienced. And then in chapter 4, he says, we were afflicted. We were perplexed. We were persecuted. Struck down. But what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 1 is that the suffering from whatever this affliction and this trial was, was so severe that it seemed like a death sentence had been handed down from some higher up, from some ruler. It felt like death was closing in. I felt like as a result of this trial, of this affliction, that I was a dead man walking. That's how it felt. And you know, one thing I think that we can learn from this passage is that you can be a good Christian and you can experience despair. Paul, the apostle, the preacher, the evangelist, the greatest leader the church has ever known besides Jesus Christ, the one who wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament, the one who established countless churches around the known world, he says, we despaired of life itself as a result of this affliction. And so if Paul can despair, I think that gives us permission to despair as well. Now, I don't know when you come to church every week and you look up here at me, I don't know how you perceive me. But if you think that I'm on the up and up all the time, if you think that I've always got a smile on my face, if you think that I'm always feeling encouraged and joyful and inspired to do the Lord's work, then you would be wrong. There's probably, on the whole, one day a week, and I'm going to be personal with you, I'm going to confess this to you, Probably at least one day a week where on, on the whole, I'm down. And maybe I, I'm not walking around with my shoulders hunched and with a dour look on my face and a frown, but on the inside, I'm struggling with doubt. And I'm struggling with discouragement. And I'm feeling like maybe my work does not, is not making that big of a difference. And I'm discouraged by sin in my own life. And I'm discouraged by sin in the church and sin in the world. And I'm just feeling like maybe this way of life is not worth it. I'm despairing. Paul despairs. I mean, there were seasons in Paul's life as there are seasons in mine and days in mine when it just is hard to get together and sing, if the skies above you are gray, you are feeling so blue, sing and be happy. I love that song, but it's not always easy to sing that song and to mean it. When death is closing in, and sometimes in my life, it seems that the ways of death overshadow the way of life. And when death is closing in, I need strength, you need strength, we need strength that comes outside ourselves to get through. A lot of people in the world say, you are stronger inside yourself than you know. You know what? I don't feel very strong inside myself and of my, of my own strength. I need something from outside of myself 
to strengthen me, to get me through these seasons. And Paul reminds me, he reminds us exactly where that strength comes from in this passage, 2 Corinthians 1. I'm going to start again in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death as a result of this affliction. But, and we know that that small word means we are about to turn the corner here. This is the big hinge. But, Paul says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So what strengthened Paul in the midst of his despair? What lifted him up? What reminded him that the way of life was more powerful than the way of death? It is the knowledge that he serves a God who raises the dead. And I love how he's specific here. Because a lot of times you'll hear people sort of vaguely say, I know the man upstairs is on my side. He's looking out for me. God is good. God is looking out for me. But we're, as Christians, we're not talking about just some distant, detached deity, some vague notion of a higher power. We are talking about the God who intervened in human history and and raised His Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Paul is specific. My God raises the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. He raises us to new life at our baptism. He will raise our bodies on the last day. He is a God of resurrection. And this changes everything. That's our series. Right now we're talking about the resurrection. And how it transforms our entire life. The way that we look at life. The way that we look at seasons of discouragement. And doubt. And death. Paul says, we despaired we felt like we'd received the sentence of death but you know what looking back that was to make us rely not on ourselves the power is not within me i am not strong of my own accord but on god and not just any god the god of heaven and earth who raises the dead and some more good news for you this morning not only do we serve a god who raises the dead this God is with us. He is with us. The spirit of his risen son lives inside us. And at this point, I want to just bombard you with scripture because it is the words from God's holy word that bring life, not my words. It is these words that that cut through bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and really make an impact. It's not my words. So I want God to speak directly to me and directly to through me to you this morning. Matthew 28, verse 20. What did Jesus say at the end of the Great Commission when he told all of his followers to go and make disciples? He said, you're not going to have to do it on your own. You're not going to be all by your lonesome trying to get the job done. I will be with you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And if I'm looking at my calendar right, this age ain't over yet. Jesus is still with us. He's still with you. As you attempt to fulfill His will in preaching the good news and making disciples the world over. And what did John say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4? He said, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who's in you? Jesus Christ the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And the one who's in you is far greater than the one who's out working in the world. The evil one, the enemy, Satan. 
He who's in you has already defeated he who's in the world. He who is in you will reign supreme forevermore. He who is working in the world, the clock is ticking on his reign. His days are coming to an end. Whereas the one in you, he will live forevermore. And you with him, if you remain faithful. The one working in you is greater than the power of the one in the world. And then Romans chapter 8, another passage of Paul, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the spirit of the one who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, that spirit, that same spirit of power is living in you. Did you know that? Do you realize that as you walk around? I mean, in your daily life, as you go to work and you go to school and you go shopping and, and here and there, that the spirit of the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in you and, and will give life to your mortal bodies. The way of life wins. The way of death dies. Our God who raises the dead has infused our lives with His resurrection power. And praise God. So though we born at the graves of innocent children and faithful loved ones, we are strengthened by our hope in the God who raises the dead, as Paul so eloquently said. Though we despair over our past sin and current missteps, we hold out hope that God will resurrect us on the last day because of His faithfulness and our devotion to him. We live in a world of death. But in this world of death, God tells us we can tap into the power of life. And that's why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I quoted some words from this passage, but not in its entirety. I didn't include the whole picture. I've saved it until now. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Struck down, yes, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for our God is with us. Yes, death might be a part of life in the here and now, but it will not be forever. Because when Jesus returns, God will defeat this great enemy death once and for all. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26. And though we face death at the end of our lives, all of us will if Jesus does not return before we reach the end of the road. Though we die, yet shall we live. Almost 10 years ago, actually, 10 years ago this fall, we gathered around my grandmother's bedside as she faced 
the final moments of her battle with cancer. And we did something around her bedside that only Christian people can do as they stare death in the face. We sang songs about Jesus. We sang songs of hope. We sang songs of heaven. Only Christians can stare death in the eye and say, you know what, death? You may have your way today and tomorrow and until the end of this age, but you will not always have your way. Jesus Christ is going to defeat you. The power of life overcomes the power of death. Do we believe it? Do we live like it? Maybe today you want to declare that you want to get in on the life that Jesus Christ offers abundant life here, life forever in the presence of God. You can do that. You can, it is as simple as saying, I want to repent, I want to turn away from my sin. I don't want that to characterize me anymore. I don't want to walk in iniquity anymore. I want to walk righteously. I want to walk uprightly. I want to walk in a way that pleases God. That's repentance. And you can come and you can confess that Jesus, you believe, Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the only Savior of the world. The Bible, the New Testament talks about making that confession before men. Letting other people publicly know that's what you believe. That's how you're going to live. And then we'll take you up and we'll baptize you. And you can go down into those waters and back up and you'll be a brand new creature. Your sins having been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you haven't made that decision, and you know that you're a sinner, and you know that you need a Savior, and you know Jesus is that one and only Savior, what are you waiting on? Come do that today. Come do that. Wouldn't it be grand if we could witness a soul being saved this very morning? Or if you are struggling in any way, if you need to Turn back to God, be restored to a right relationship with Him. Or if you need the prayers of this church family, we also invite you to come. Take advantage of this song of invitation, not my invitation, God's invitation, to come and make things right and enter into a saving relationship with Him. Do that right now as we stand and sing.